0: So our second lesson for this Lord's Day comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. We will be reading verses 1 through 15 in chapter 8 and also in chapter 9. And so if you have your Bibles with you, let me encourage you to turn there and follow along now as I read. Paul writes... And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability— Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need, and then there will be equality. As it is written, He who gathered much did not have too much, And he who gathered little did not have too little. Now chapter 9. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. And I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred up most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised and then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And herein ends the reading of God's word to us this day. May all praise and honor and glory be to him and to him alone. Amen. Last week, we examined a passage of Scripture from Paul's letter to the Philippians, where he thanked them for his most their most recent gift to him while he was under arrest in Rome. And Paul recognized their support as a sign of their genuine faith in Christ, for he described it as the fruit that, he said, would increase to their credit. And he then assured them that God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul's pleasure in their generosity was not only expressed in his letter to them then, but it is also mentioned in a tangential way in this, his second letter to the church in Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he tells them about a collection that was taking place across Asia Minor and into Greece for relief to the mother church in Jerusalem. He says in 1 Corinthians 16, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. And that direction was to set aside an offering on the first day of every week so that at some point in the future, when Paul returned to them, they would be ready to send those relief funds back to Jerusalem by way of trusted couriers. Now this relief effort began to spread so that it wasn't just churches in Galatia that were in on this, but then the churches in Macedonia which would have primarily been Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea joined in on it, and then churches in Achaia, of which Corinth would have been one. And so as Paul addresses the Corinthians in this second letter, he reports to them in chapter 8 about the remarkable generosity of their northern neighbors, brothers and sisters in Christ who have been moved by the grace of God to such an extent that they not only gave according to their means, but they gave beyond their means, begging for the opportunity to give to this ministry to the saints in Jerusalem. Now, I want us to grasp this picture because the one who was a part of the initial persecution of the saints in Jerusalem is seen here now, years later, "...bringing financial relief to those whom he once persecuted. Saul, who stood by at the stoning of Stephen, giving his quiet assent through his silence, then began a rampage of his own, hauling Christians before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. And then he developed a plan of attack that included outlying areas where Christians had fled for fear of their lives." This same Saul is then confronted by the risen and glorified Christ. And this expression of God's grace to him so radically changed him that he became one of the greatest ambassadors of the faith to the Gentile world. And it is these Gentile converts who are now responding to the needs of the Jewish converts by offering their gifts to the former persecutor of these Jewish Christians whose life was so changed by Christ that even his name was transformed from Saul to Paul. This is a wonderful portrait of the power of God's redemption. It embodies what Paul wrote to the Galatians when he said there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female for all of you are one in Christ Jesus now it is only through the providence of almighty god that we would find such a redemptive moment as this as we read this letter we discover that the relief effort for the jerusalem believers it struck a chord across asia minor and then into macedonia and into achaia but it was the saints in macedonia whose generosity particularly stood out because of their extreme poverty. Like the woman who put in her last two mites while Jesus and the disciples were in the temple court, how that caught Jesus' attention and praise, so the Macedonians have outdone themselves and set an example for all to follow. And Paul indicates that their great generosity began by them first giving themselves wholeheartedly to Christ. In other words, their stewardship sprang out of their deep discipleship. It is difficult to give with the right attitude if we have not first given ourselves wholeheartedly to God. If there is some portion of our will or some portion of our life that we seek to withhold from him, it is likely that it has something to do with our material things. But in the case of the Macedonians, their faith in Jesus produced fruit that could be seen in their generosity. One of the things that demographers have noticed over many years of surveying is that proportionally, the people who are the most generous are those who live near or below the poverty line, believe it or not. By contrast, people who are extremely wealthy are notoriously stingy. I don't know if you saw the brief article that was in the news this past week about Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, who attended a fundraising gala in Los Angeles for a 501c3 organization that distributes baby items to needy families across the country. And this gala was attended by some of the most famous people in the world. And as the fundraising went on, people were very much aware that one of the two richest men in the world was in attendance, and they were awaiting the moment when Jeff Bezos would register a donation, and when it was announced that he was donating $500,000, do you know that there were audible groans from those in attendance? Now, while that sum is no small number, to them it was paltry considering that Mr. Bezos earns over $140,000 per minute. And so in the time that it took him to eat his dinner, his own net worth grew by a number much larger than his gift. Now Paul was very much aware of the poverty of the saints in Macedonia, who had and were undergoing persecution for their faith, and yet they gave according to their means, but they also gave beyond their means. They sacrificed truly for the sake of the saints in Jerusalem, whose own original persecution caused them to flee into the rest of the world, thereby eventually reaching the Macedonians and others with the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul wants the Corinthians to be aware that their own strong pledge prompted the Macedonians to act with great generosity. But he also wants to lift up the sacrificial gift of the Macedonians so as to spur the Corinthians on to the completion of their own pledge. Through positive words of encouragement, he reinforces what they were so eager to first embrace, and he urges them to finish strong. And the motivation for all of this generous giving is found in this first chapter 8, where Paul states so clearly that it is because of the grace of God, shown to every believer in Jesus Christ, that we are prompted to give at all. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now Paul is not thinking only in financial terms here when he speaks of being rich and poor, and yet it certainly is a part of the equation. What he is saying is that the eternal Son of God willingly took on our flesh leaving behind his heavenly realm. And he walked obediently to Calvary, where he laid down his very life on our behalf. That impoverishing sacrifice was for our sake. Jesus gave everything he had for us, and in so doing, we became rich. We were lifted out of the enslavement of our. Our our souls to sin, rescued from that imprisonment of sin. We were set free to enjoy a heritage that is marked by God giving us his very own indwelling spirit. And in this we become children of God and co-heirs with Christ. And as we learned last week, we are not to be anxious over the lack of material things because our Heavenly Father will supply our every need according to his riches and glory. Now, Paul reiterates that point when he points to the fact that God is the one who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, and that God will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he means that God has a plan where our giving is concerned. And that plan involves our growing in generosity in order that others will be blessed by our righteousness and return to God their own thanksgiving for God's grace at work in their lives. Just as God engineered this whole scenario, beginning with Paul persecuting the Jewish Christians and continuing with him one day arriving with relief funds offered by Gentiles converted under his preaching, It ended with those first believers rejoicing over God's graciousness in their lives. Paul did not gain the praise for this. The Corinthians and the Macedonians did not receive the praise. You and I do not receive the praise. God gains the praise because God is the one who is ultimately responsible for all of it. You see, God is responsible for the material resources we find in our temporary possession. And God is also responsible for the sincere desire in us to offer them back to Him for His glory. Paul says here that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, do you see in that statement that God is the first cause or God is the prime mover in these things? We so often want to take credit for what we give. We expect maybe a letter of recognition if our gift is especially large in our opinion or by comparison to the gifts made by others to the same project if some public recognition can be made, a plaque on the wall or a building named after us, we're all the more pleased by that development. But the fact of the matter is that for the one who, like the Macedonians, gives himself first of all to the Lord, the recognition should rightfully go to God because God is the one who supplied what it was that any person gave away. And God provided the desire to give that as well. Now, whether we have a great deal of resources or very little in the way of material resources, we are encouraged to give generously nonetheless. It will be based upon what we have, but it should never be that we excuse ourselves from giving generously because we deem ourselves to be impoverished. The woman who gave her Last two mites stands as our example in this. And that woman embodies what Paul says when he speaks about our readiness to give. If the readiness is there, whatever the gift is, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. In other words, God does not expect the widow to give what she does not have, but he does expect her to give according to the readiness of her heart. And what gains Jesus' praise of her is that by her generosity, the readiness of her heart was on full display to the Lord of life. Our stewardship is essentially a heart matter. God's not after the money. He owns it all. There's not one thing that exists that he does not claim rightfully as his own because he made it. What he seeks from us is our willful surrender to him. What he seeks from us is encapsulated in the first commandment that Jesus declares. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And so our stewardship stems from our love affair or lack thereof with the Lord God. If we struggle with giving generously if we struggle with giving cheerfully, our attention should be drawn towards the condition of our heart. For that is where the problem lies. And this is what is behind Paul's use of what is believed to be an agricultural proverb. He who sows sparingly reaps sparingly, and he who sows bountifully reaps bountifully. It takes faith on the part of the sower to cast his seed across the field, knowing that in a sense he has lost it. The weather conditions may fail to materialize at the most opportune time. He has no control over that. Insects may consume what starts to grow. He has no control over that. Birds may snatch up the seed before it has a chance to germinate and gain purchase in the soil. He has no control over that. The sower must trust that God Will provide all that is necessary to make those seeds produce a crop. And in the same way, when we generously give to the causes of Christ, when we lose, in a sense, our resources in obedience to what Christ calls us to do, we have, to one degree or another, impoverished ourselves while we are placing our trust in the Lord who promises to provide for our needs. And if we are unwilling to lose those resources for the sake of Christ, it speaks to a fear that exists in us or a lack of faith in God's promises to provide. Well, anticipating such reluctance, Paul states, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God's will for his children is not only that they grow in grace, but they they also grow in generosity because as they do, it multiplies exponentially into ever greater thanksgiving offered to God for his faithfulness. In other words, as God provides seed for sowing and we are obedient in the sowing, we become partners with the Lord in blessing others by meeting their needs. And that ministry produces thanksgiving to God. And when our obedience in this way takes root, then our confession of faith in Christ becomes more than just words. It becomes something that others can see. It begins to grow and blossom and bear fruit that brings honor and glory to the one who supplies all that we need. I encourage you in these days to submit yourself to the Lord wholeheartedly that you might grow in generosity. Let me invite you to bow your heads with me and pray for a moment this morning.